like a runaway train through an alternate dimension. It's Have You Seen Episode 35. Welcome one and all to episode 35 of Have You Seen? I am Kieran Lefort and opposite me as usual is Tom Webb. Hello. Uh, today we speak of two very different films. Yes. Uh, Unstoppable mm-hmm. and The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension. That's it? Yeah. I'm trying to remember all the words for that. Yeah. One has yeah. a very simple title and one doesn't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, what would you want to do it in? What should we start with Unstoppable? Okie dokie. Should I recap? Yeah, please do. Yeah. Okay. There's a train. It's unmanned. Yeah. It's going very fast. Yeah. The people don't think it can be stopped. Chris Pine and uh, Denzel Washington are in their train and they have other ideas. Yeah. That pretty much sums it up, I think. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. There we go. Um, it's the last film directed by Tony Scott. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say directed before he died, but he did it two years ago. Um, yeah. And as I said last week, the reason I like it is because it's packed full of energy and it's absolutely not a film you'd expect a 66-year-old man to direct. No, no, um, it's well, it, It's more of like a, this is some new young Turk on the block yeah, yeah, yeah. trying to show how fast he can cut and yeah. you know how many yeah. dangerous stunts he can make people do. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yeah. Uh, so I think there's isn't much to add to that. There are other characters, but I guess we'll mm. cover them as we uh, yeah. as we talk about it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty much Denzel and Chris Pine that you're, you're after, isn't it? All the others are kind of, you know, it's a lot of, uh, oh, I know that face. Yeah. You know, in the other roles, quite often like it is, you know, like, well, it's like, well, oh, that's that's the guy who plays the dad in Transformers. And, Kevin Dunn. Yeah, and oh, yes. that, that bloke's in Fringe, uh, you know, and stuff like fringe? that. Fringe? Which one's in Fringe? The, the, the slightly oh, the creepy looking guy. <laughs> I was just yeah, about yeah, to say yeah, the yeah, slightly no, no. creepy guy with the beard. Yeah, yes, no, I remember. I can't remember the name of his character, but yes, he's a creepy looking guy who has a recurring role in Fringe. Yeah, yeah. You are correct. Yeah. Um, so yes, go for it. Unstoppable. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, Excellent. I think uh, what what what's interesting about it is it's a really good, solid kind of thriller action movie. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not, um, and it's not trying to do anything clever. No. And that's what makes it so good is because it's not, you know, there's no gimmicks there. It's just, it's a really clear, straightforward story about people. It's a high concept, but a simple concept. Exactly, yeah. And it's, it's so, I mean, the narrative is so clear mm. that you, you get more time for character development mm. and, you, you know, and it's, and it's surprisingly dynamic, like you said, for all it is. Yeah. The thing I noticed watching it again for this show was... Mm. Um, that it's a 90 minute movie mm. but our two heroes don't decide to undergo their heroic action until an hour into the yeah. film yeah you're getting on for an hour before denzel realizes well we can, we can try help. and stop yeah. this train yeah 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 cool i suppose for the first time it's, it's like are, are they going to get out of the way in time you know yeah you know yeah, they're yeah. going to be safe something um but what the first note i made which is probably about halfway into the film i would think is it feels like an 80s action film a 90s action film and a modern action film all at the same time. Mm. The, and and, I, and uh, it kind of, to me, that's more of a reflection of Tony Scott's influence over the years. Yeah, I suppose it is. Yeah, he's had a, uh, he's had a, a, a finger in all decades, really, yeah, and so has it, been influential. In the opening decades. shots of kind of sunrise in the depot, I mean, that, I mean they look very reminiscent of Top Gun, uh, the opening on, mm-hmm. the, on the aircraft carrier. And, you know, and then later on there's, there's kind of... Some of the dialogue scenes, the way they're shot and cut, you kind of think of things like The Rock and mm. um, sort of, you know, it's all Bruckheimer, Michael Bay mm. area era kind of mm. stuff um, where 
it's like the guys that are, have been hired because they're really good at shooting action have to deal with the dialogue scene and, and yeah. try and make it interesting. You yeah, know? yeah, yes. No, I'm thinking, yeah, you've got you've got like kind of two-handed dialogue in a train cab, and the yeah. train is doing 55 miles an hour, yeah. and the camera is kind of is swirling around them somehow outside of the cab yeah. as they're talking. Yeah. yeah, so you've got kind of like really nice little touches like that, but then, but but despite having that feeling and essence of kind of classic era action movies if you like mm. it still felt very modern mm. at the same time um you know the the way it looked and you know there, there are even things that like you know you get a lot of you get a lot of information via news reports yeah which you know is something that you you'd see things like robocop and stuff like that but mm. it's done in a very kind of modern take on it mm. um yeah, so I mean, I don't have that many notes because I was just no, I didn't have it. that many it's notes like, uh, uh, when I was writing. Like I said, I had four lines that I wrote last week. Yeah, and I mean, again, what I liked about it is that, you know you you know when these stunts are real. Oh yeah, like when that when you see a train just go plow through a horse box. Yeah, and through another train carriage, and you just you know, the destruction and the might of these mm. trains. It because you know it's real and not CGI. It might might be CGI enhanced. Mm. They might have added in a bit of debris or something like yeah. that, or they might have you know just you know taken a bit of camera wall or something like that. Mm. But it, the uh, when you see those impacts, you realise the the danger. And I think that there are stunts on on the train where you see Chris Pine trying to manhandle one of the uh, couplings between mm. the, the yeah. trains, and and you you kind of realise how big those trains are, how oh, yeah. fast they're going and how tiny and squishy he is. Oh, yes. And, and you kind of think, oh, actually, you know, whereas you, you, you see other films that have sequences with people running across the top of trains. Yeah. You don't really kind of get the, the sensation of... No, I was... Um, uh, danger, I suppose. No, I was watching some of the extras mm. and uh, the only bit of that section where um, uh, Pine is trying to jimmy that coupling yeah. that he didn't do is the mm. bit where he actually falls off and ends up hanging upside down trapped by his right. foot. Yeah. He yeah. did do some of the hanging upside down, but the yeah. the only part of that sequence he That's didn't do insane. was the fall. Yeah. That's and he said yeah, it was like 50 60 miles now with his mm. head 2 feet off off the ground. That's incredible. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, it, and it's Again, I guess it's that's why it feels like a, a, an action movie from another era is because, you know, the stunts are done properly, and mm. you know that's what I liked about it. It's kind of it felt very real, which puts me in mind actually. Uh, there's a film coming out uh, very soon that I want to see called Premium Rush. Oh uh, yeah, um, with, um, which was Joseph, with Judge Gordon Levitt, Levitt yeah. uh, which was shot entirely, almost entirely in real New York traffic, right? With the cast doing most of their own stunts. Yeah. Uh, and Levitt managed to crash into the back of a taxi cab at 30 miles an hour, come off his bike and go elbow first through the back Ooh. window and had 31 stitches in his arm. Nasty. Yeah. That's, that's commitment to the role that is. Yes, indeed. I bet the insurance companies loved it. Yes, I imagine they did. <laughs> you yeah. hurt Nightwing. <laughs> yeah. Um, again, a lot of the... Um... That might be a spoiler for a movie <laughs> I haven't actually seen. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway, moving on. Um as this film does at a hell of a pace. Yeah, well, again, the, the camera movement, mm. it's its not like green Paul Greengrass irritating amounts of camera shake, mm. but it's certainly enough energy and movement within simple scenes to keep you keep you going. Even things just like Rosario Dawson shouting into a microphone. Exactly, yeah. There's just a it's bit, keep- you know, it just kind of adds a little bit of pace when, you know, it could sag a bit and it there's, doesn't. Um, there's a great little character detail I like with her. Right. Whenever she's in control, yeah. her hair goes up. 
whenever things are going wrong around her, her hair's down. Oh, really? I yeah. didn't notice that. I know she keep putting it, taking it down, putting it back up yeah, again. Yeah. But I didn't when, notice whenever the... she puts it up, it's whenever she's taking charge. Right. Okay. Uh, yeah. 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 It's just a little, a tiny little detail I really liked. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, that's the thing is that you've got all those, all those people. I mean, everyone in this kind of has quite a stereotypical role. Yeah. But there, but again, that kind of works to its advantage because you immediately know who they are and what they are. So you don't really yeah. need any of that explaining. You can just kind of get on this with This is not a movie thing. for complex characters. No, no, but it, it kind of works and it allows them to make the main two guys a little bit more complex and yes. kind of have a bit more play with their backstories yeah. and things like that. Even though even though the backstories and stuff, again, are, fu- are quite kind of, not stereotypical, but you, you know. Stereotypical and cliched aren't really the words, but I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. It, I, I don't think you're going to see see something you haven't seen before or like a character twist you hadn't seen no. before necessarily, but it's just done very well. Mm. Um, you know, in it, in a way, there are kind of things I don't think it's as good as, but there, there are things that remind me of Warrior a bit. You kind of know what you're getting. Yeah. It's just done really, really well. Yes. Um, Did so, you see what I mean when I said uh, in the first five minutes you know everything you need to know about Chris Pine? Yeah. They give you more details later Absolutely, on. Absolutely, yeah. But he's, he's set up within five minutes. Yeah. Uh, but Denzel Washington's character, you get drip-fed yeah. more of the information about yeah, him. Yeah, absolutely. And there, there are some quite quite nice little twists and, uh, you know, kind of kinks in their, their friendship and relationship. And, uh, yeah, I think it's just developed really, really well over that the course of that first hour, really, to mm-hmm. the point where suddenly actually they've got to work together to kind of, you know, Stop that train. Exactly, yeah. It makes me think of um, uh, that there were lots of, not quite sniffy reviews at the time, but really yeah. like, um, why did they call it unstoppable? The train could clearly be stopped. Yeah. Um, which makes me think of the um, the Simpsons episode where Homer is trying to recall the name of Speed. Right. <laughs> and he's like, I think it was called the bus that couldn't slow down. <laughs> So, you know, I think my Whereas this is the train that could eventually be stopped. Yeah, yeah. Well, it kind of shares a lot in common with movies like that. Yeah. You know, and it is that it's that kind of thing. So there are I mean, there are always gonna be um other movies you go, Well, it's kinda of like that, but maybe not as good, or it's kinda of like this. But I think it's it is really, kind of speed on train tracks. Yeah, yeah. And I just think it works really well. It's this sort of thing, it's quite um uh, it's the sort of movie that if you if you had an evening where you kinda of wanted to watch something that you might not have seen before. But you di- you didn't want to get anything that was too heavy, or you, you know you weren't in, m- in the mood for a comedy or something. It's sort of thing you can just kind of stick on and just go with it, if that makes sense. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like um, I don't know. It's it's just a, a good kind of solid quality movie you can just stick on and, and watch without having to think too much, mm-hmm. but be entertained at the same time. Yeah. Is that you done? I think so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I found some alternative titles for Unstoppable. Oh, really? Yeah, and and various uh, countries interpreted interpreted <laughs> interpreted <laughs> the title in some interesting ways. All right. Uh, in Russia, yeah, it was uncontrollable. All right. Okay. That kind of works. I in suppose. Turkey, yeah, it was irrepressible. <laughs> yeah, that's not. In so Lithuania, much. it was an unbridled threat. Right. In France, it was at full tilt. Okay, that kind of And my works. absolute favourite was from Hungary, where it's called Speedy Bomb. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty cool. Um, I found that people of the internet, of course, had some opinions yeah. about the film. Um, the only the only funny ones were five-star reviews, right. um, which I shall attempt to read in the way they're wit- written. 
particularly this first one, which is a run-on sentence. So, okay, uh, all right. But deep breath. Deep breath. At last, a decent Saturday film. Denzel Washington can do no wrong in my book. He is a great actor who can turn his talents to any part. Alongside Chris Pine, he makes this simple role his own. Oh, there's a full stop. Bloody hell. <laughs> you know the story, runaway train and all that, but this is so well done, it takes it to a new level with exciting camera shots and exciting train action-y bits, which look like they were actually done with real trains. There are a couple of blatant CGI sequences, but hey, I suppose it must be difficult to do a stunt with 3,000 tonne of train. But anyway, a brilliant Saturday night feet up, beer kebab and enjoy the ride type of film. Oh, I forgot. Chris Pine is quite good. Well, Mrs. B said so. She likes his eyes. Thank you, dear. <laughs> <laughs> P.S. Oh, and it's quite nice to have a film without any pointless nasty violence and sex scenes in it. Sometimes it's just fun to have action and adventure. <laughs> yeah, that pretty, sums it up pretty well, actually. There were quite a lot of people who uh, went to great pains to point out the lack of naughty language. There are a couple of F-bombs in it. I heard them. Yeah. But they're not, it's not, no, it's but not thrown again, about. No, you don't really need it, though. No. Oh, you don't really miss it. No. No, no, no. Um, what do we got here? Oh, God. All in caps. Hold on. All right. Build, build a bit of energy. Yeah. I'm f- I am brimming with ginger beer. <laughs> <Right. laughs> I've had twice as much as usual and nachos. Right. Okay. What can I say? This has to be the most breathtaking, breathtaking. <laughs> oh, there's, there's one F-bomb. <laughs> that, that makes us a 12A. Yeah. What can I say? This has to be the most breathtaking. I can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> one last try. If I fail, then we'll just scrap this one and okay. on to another one. What can I say? This has to be the most breathtaking roller coaster ride of a film I've seen for a long time. Pelham 123 was a good tense film with Denzel Washington starring, but this film is absolutely riveting and very exciting from start to finish as the story unfolds into a climactic finish that keeps you riveted to your seat and yelling at the screen, utterly brilliant. A, 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 star, 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 star. Right, fair enough. Oh, God, I'm tired. (laughs) Um, There were a couple that just had uh, single lines I liked. I have seen this film, it is. Packed with action and what a thrill. One of the best since the Fast and the Furious films. It's about a runaway train and two people go after it and try and stop it and they succeeded. Must watch, must watch the film. <laughs> they ran out of steam there, did they? Yeah, yeah. after it is. Yeah. <laughs> this one line I really liked. This movie will never win any awards, but only because there isn't one for the most thrilling film of the year. <laughs> <laughs> this, I think, is from an entire... Last one, I think it's from an entirely different film. Right. Now, this movie is a classical movie. Not only does it come with a background guitarist, but the movie itself is awesome, and the case was not damaged at all. <laughs> Thank you, mystery Amazon Amazing. reviewer. All right. And so, to Buckaroo Banzai, yeah. would you like to attempt to explain this film? <sighs> I'll give it a go. Because I don't want to have to. <laughs> so, basically, uh, The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension um, is... A kind of a family actiony adventure sci-fi comedy something um made in the early mid late early to mid late early to early mi- to mid late no that's the entire decade it was made in 1984 <laughs> oh yeah right made 1984 <laughs> <laughs> the early to mid late 80s well I, you can't say i wasn't wrong <laughs> well <laughs> um you're vague <laughs> um so buckaro banzai is a neurosurgeon particle physicist, martial artist, and rock star. Uh, And he's kind of invented a car that crosses dimensions. He seems to have invented this entirely by mistake. I don't really... Kind of, yeah. Yeah. Um, So basically, um, it's a movie that kind of just drops you right in the middle of this kind of unusual universe, and you just kind of have to go with it and keep up. Uh, It's effectively... um, 
Buckaroo Banzai has discovered that he can cross dimensions and then there are two warring alien races who can utilise this technology and they arrive on Earth to to try and basically steal it from him and and the bad guys want to use it to, I think, then attack the others. It's not really made that clear. Not really. Um, It kind of doesn't really matter that it's not really made that clear. You, You kind of effectively just get Buckaroo Banzai's kind of point of view. So he's just trying to stop the bit that affects him and not really anything else. Yeah, I suppose so. Um, it stars uh, Peter Weller as Buckaroo Banzai and Jonathan Lithgow uh, as kind of this crazy Italian doctor who's sort of possessed by uh, one of the aliens. Um, and Jeff Goldblum turns up and so does Christopher Lloyd. Uh, and Ellen Barkin plays the kind of superfluous love interest. Uh, and apparently in a deleted scene, Jamie Lee Curtis was Banzai's mum. Yes, that's yes. right. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it, it kind of has like 80s classic written all over it, but it kind of never was. because It, it sank without a trace. Yeah, it they, made for $12 million and just kind of disappeared. Yeah, because they just had no way of knowing how to market it. Mm. And I came away just really enjoying it and wishing I'd seen it when I was a kid. Because mm-hmm. I think it would have, for me, it would have slotted right in. The VHS collection with Ghostbusters and uh, Back to the Future and Biggles Adventures in Time and, Mm. you know, all the other kind of stuff I had like that. So what did you make of it? Well, I came away from it absolutely hating it and very glad I didn't watch it as a kid. Really? Yeah. I really, really (sighs) didn't like this movie. Why not? It was far too much like Howard the Duck. Really? Yeah. See, I don't think there's anything like Howard the Duck. It is. Right. You're one of the heroes, yeah. well, in fact, all the heroes in this film, are in a terrible 80s band. Yeah. Yeah. There's confusion about whether aliens are from other planets or other dimensions. The main mm. villain is somebody possessed and overacting like crazy. Yeah. It's cheap as hell. Yeah. Um, uh, and I got absolutely zero fun out of it. Really? I laughed once. Really? And that was, was that? a cheap throwaway gag at the press conference yeah. when they're explaining something yeah. or other. And one of the band, I think, what's his name? Perfect Tommy. Yeah. Makes makes a joke at the expense of the um, Secretary of Defence. Right. Who then just reaches over and unplugs his <laughs> microphone. Yeah, yeah. That was yeah. the only thing I laughed really? at in this whole film. Oh, I loved it. I thought this was terrible. Really? I yeah. had a feeling you might kind of go this way on it. Well, I really wanted to like it. Yeah. And I think kind of the problem is... I was expecting uh, like the fast-paced, brightly coloured adventures of a wise-cracking hero, which is what the uh, yeah. what the, the the cover suggests. And yeah. what I got was an impossible to follow story about a bland man with greasy hair and his dull <laughs> band of indistinguishable sidekicks right. and some Rasta aliens. Interesting. I, no, it did nothing for me. Really? I had to stop it twice. Really? It was doing me in. <laughs> um, it's like someone was pouring the eighties directly into my eyes and ears <laughs> really? at, for a hundred and two minutes. Oh, uh, I, I just loved it. I thought it was great. Peter Weller's about as convincing as half Japanese as David Carradine was as half Chinese <laughs> yeah, in Kung Fu. True, yeah. Um, you can really tell the difference between the two uh, DOPs. Yeah, you can, yeah. yeah. And that club scene may mm. have been shot by the guy who did Blade Runner, yeah. but Peter Weller doesn't have to look like Rich Hall when he sat at the <laughs> piano. Yeah, I just... Really? I, I hated it so much. It's like bad anime done live action by white white people. Right. I can see I can totally see how it would work as a comic yeah. or as an animated series, but right. I, I really don't think it's a live action film. Really? I, I, just, I don't know. I just I I just like the fact that you kind of just 
cling on trying to figure out what's going on and I didn't care really I did not care Peter Weller is so bland and so boring right Uh, see I I just found him alright I didn't think he was exceptional but I wouldn't say he was bland he's supposed to be an exceptional person yeah his character is supposed supposed to be exceptional he's so he's really dull he's supposed to be exceptional but laid back so he's kind of like just everything everything he's brilliant at he's just he's just brilliant at it he doesn't need to work at it do you know what I mean but I don't want a hero like that. Yeah. And yeah, I just, I did not care. Really? I can't remember one line of dialogue. Really? Apart from maybe them, the aliens continually mispronouncing um, uh, Christopher Lloyd's character's surname yeah. to his annoyance. Yeah. That's it. Really? No, I hated it. Oh, no, that's um, a shame. Despite travelling the world to learn martial arts, yeah. uh, Peter Weller's, uh, in fact, Buckaroo Banzai's hand-to-hand skills... Uh, <laughs> Consist of kicking one guy in the balls once. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Badly. The only reference to martial arts is he's kind of doing some sort of ritual with a samurai sword yeah. at one point. I, it wasn't exciting, funny, really? or fun. No, oh. I thought it was cheap, nonsensical, and annoying. <laughs> Interesting. Just can't, I really, really didn't like it. Oh, wow. That's a shame. Sorry. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure the alien costumes were reused for Alien Nation four years they're, later. They're fairly similar. Yeah. Mm. Um. And yeah, I just for the most part, I couldn't work out what was going on, and I didn't care to try and work it out. Mm, interesting, because I I like the fact that you know, kind of when you when they're talking about all the science and everything, they're using kind of all the proper terminology, and they you know they're kind of well, that's fine. I can go with that. You know, but I, I, that's kind of what I liked about it. You kind of got that actual fact combined with utterly ridiculous, I, and, and then it's sometimes just kind of really bizarre, kind of surreal moments. Yeah, but ridiculous and bizarre can be fun. Yeah. As we've seen in things like, off the top of my head, A Town Called Panic. Yeah. That's yeah. ridiculous and bizarre, <clears throat> but fun. Yeah. Uh, and this, I just didn't think was any fun. Oh, that's a shame. Just uh, so boring. Really? And Yeah. Wow. That's a shame, because I, I, like I say, I really loved it. There was so. no exciting action, no funny dialogue, hmm. no interesting characters. I, there was absolutely nothing in this really? for me. No. Hmm. Sorry. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> And one one just really kind of odd note, something that struck me as really bizarre. Yeah. The main hero and villain never meet. Um I don't think they're ever in the same room at the same time. They have a chat on the phone. Yeah, no, they are. There's a bit there's a whole sequence where they meet. Really? Yeah. Oh, I must have fallen asleep during that bit. There's a whole bit where uh Peter Weller's kinda of tied up and uh Jonathan Lithgow's kinda of, kinda of torturing him in some kind of machine. Oh that. Yeah. There's that whole bit, and, uh, uh, and he was and, probably an alien makeup at that point. Um, no, he wasn't. No, because no, he's possessed he, for some by an alien somehow for yeah. some stupid reason. Yeah, he's he's never in makeup because he's kind of yeah, yeah, he's kind of half, half, half alien. I guess he is. I don't like know that. what he yeah. is. Yeah, I don't know what he is. Yeah. Oh, it's a shame he didn't like it. It didn't make any sense, and it drove me nuts. <laughs> we'll have to see. We'll have to see if we can uh, persuade any listeners out there to see if they can hunt it down, watch it, and let us know what well, they think. Well, uh, it's anybody with a Netflix subscription. That's in, true. Yeah, it's on seemingly by... any country can get. Yeah, to it's it, on the so. uh, UK and uh, US. So, yeah. Uh, Did you find any interesting kind of notes or feedback? Um, hold on, that means opening another thing on my. Give me a second. I've got some reviews. I have one review. Right. <clears throat> it's a one-star review all right. because all the five-star ones were too well written. <laughs> right, fair enough. Um, and it's only for one line that I like. This is just <laughs> an excerpt, and it's just for one line in this I all liked. Right. This is one of the worst things I've ever had to sit through. 
Totally irredeemable. The script is pedestrian. It outright steals every interesting idea in it from other films. It hasn't. This is the line. It has an appallingly lax attitude to the portrayal of firearm usage in films. (laughs) (laughs) The acting is dull. The music is dull. The dialogue is dull. There are no discernible jokes. It looks cheap, and the direction is boring. Interesting. The only, the one good thing I'll say about it is the is half the cinematography. Yeah. When it looks yeah. good, it looks yeah, really, really good. good. And yeah. like I said, you can tell yeah. when it's uh, yeah. the Blade Runner bloke. It's such a shame that they switched switched out. They really, if they, mm. I think, it, in fact, if they'd kept that guy, then it mm. probably would have it would have done better than it did. You think because it just would have looked more expensive yeah. and more? Yeah, I think it would have just had a bit more. Uh, I don't know. It just it just would have looked a bit more had a bit more class to it. I think if it had, yeah, that, you know, yes, you know. possibly, yeah. Yeah, sorry I trampled all over that. I really wanted to like it. Like yeah. I said last week, it's something that I've heard about for years. Yeah, yeah. Just like forever. And um, uh, I always thought Bruce Campbell was in it for some reason. Right. Um, and when I saw it pop up on Netflix, I've been meaning to click on yeah, it for yeah. ages. And, yeah. you know, that uh, the cover suggests yeah. fun and hilarity. Yeah. And I found no fun or That's hilarity. Because, I mean, I like just kind of the weird, bizarre moments. Like, I think there's a bit where Jeff Goldblum and one of the other uh, band members are uh, trying to, on their way somewhere through mm. the, the complex. And there's a there's a there's like this huge vice with a watermelon in it. Mm. And Jeff Goldblum goes, what's that watermelon for? And the guy goes, I'll tell you later. Mm. And that's it. They just walk past. And then it's never referenced again. Mm. So I, it's just little silly things like that that entertained me. And just kind of like these kind of off-the-cuff mm. bits of dialogue that just seemed really kind of off the wall that I liked. Hmm. You didn't. I think I'd have preferred to stay slightly more inside the walls. <laughs> right. Fair enough. All right. Well, uh, have we got anything else to cover before we move on to the pictures? No, we really don't. Okay, dokie. Uh, it's you a wanna... light week, yeah, especially yeah. after last week. Yeah. There's no acting this week, people. No, Sorry. No. Um, do you want to pitch first, or shall I? Um, I don't know. Are you feeling brave after I've just? Yeah. No. I can, I can, I can, no. I can pitch you. Uh, it's it. a much more traditional. Excellent. Film. Go for it. Um, from only a few years ago, actually. Um, I'm going to pitch you Capote. Uh-huh. Which now, hang is, on. This is the Philip Seymour Hoffman one, not the, the Toby, Toby Jones, Jones one. It is, right. yes. Um, I've seen half of the Toby Jones one, mm-hmm. and I did, thought it was terrible. Okay. Um, not necessarily because of him, just because of the way it was made. It was a bit weird. Um, so, anyway... The one I'm actually going to pitch you is, is Capote. It was made in 2005, and it's very simply the story of Truman Capote writing his famous novel, In Cold Blood. Mm-hmm. Um, now, In Cold Blood itself has been made into films, mm-hmm. um, and the story of In Cold Blood is in November 14th, 1959, in Holcomb, Kansas. Um, Perry Smith and Dick Hickok break into a farmhouse with the intent to steal some money. Unfortunately, the money isn't there, and they end up shooting the entire family. Um, and th- this actually happened. Okay. Um, so what you're going to see is effectively a fictionalised version of true events about someone writing a fictionalised non-fiction novel about true events. That so only makes slightly that. more sense than Buckaroo Banzai. So basically, the, the the film follows Truman Capote because what he actually did was he read a, a news article about the killings, mm-hmm. and then he went down to Kansas and he interviewed the police officers involved. He got he struck up a friendship with um, 
uh, Alvin Dewey, who is the kind of the police officer in charge of the investigation. Uh, in the film, he's played by Chris Cooper. Mm-hmm. Uh, he goes there with um, Harper Lee, mm-hmm. who wrote To Kill a Mockingbird, who is one of his best friends. Um, and that's Catherine Keener. Um, and he then proceeded to get absolutely unprecedented access mm-hmm. to the two murderers. And he, uh, to the point where, um, as part of research, he would go to the prisons and sit in the cells with them and talk about their lives and what they did. And, mm-hmm. um, and I've, I've actually read the book. Um, and it's really interesting because it's, it's written, you know, you're, you're reading about true events, but it's written as a novel. Mm. And you kind of think at that point where there must be quite a lot of artistic license, but the amount of access he had meant that there... There was a little bit of artistic license, but a lot. I mean, it's so much rooted in fact that it, it, you kind of puts yourself in a very bizarre situation. Mm-hmm. And I think it's all well and good making a film of In Cold Blood because it's an interesting murder story. But actually, the film that they've made here is even more interesting because you get you get the the interesting story of the, the murder in Kansas mm. and, and the subsequent uh, court case and prison sentences but you also get Truman Capote you know going back you know and you've got him at, uh, you know remember he's he's a very flamboyant homosexual writer from New York mm. with the most ridiculous sounding voice he sounds heard. like Droopy the dog doesn't he he does yeah yes. and um, no I'm not going to try no, <laughs> don't, don't let me try um, I can hear it but I'm not sure I can yeah. emulate it uh, and, and if you look if you watch you can find footage of actually of Truman Capote on uh, YouTube, mm. it, it, you realise how close Philip Seymour Hoffman is to. Uh, he, he does that Michael Sheen thing, yeah, of of a brilliant, brilliant performance that is borderline impression, but mm. not quite. Um, so it, it's fascinating seeing him and how he interacts and wins over the people in you know Kansas farming mm. community, um, and you know the way he never stops being himself but wins people over to like him and to mm-hmm. get access to, to things like that. Um, so yeah it's it's kind of a it, like I said it's a fascinating true story that then went on to be a fictionalised novel mm-hmm. and this is a, the fascinating a version of, of the fascinating yeah. true story of that being written so yeah it, I think it works really really well as a film okay. um, it's worth noting that it was um, directed by Bennett Miller and the last thing he did was Moneyball Okay. Um, so, and I think the script for this was by Dan Futterman. Mm-hmm. Um, That's a name I know. Yeah, he, uh, probably from acting. He, I can't remember what it was, but you would know. Uh, I think he was in. Um, oh, he was in the Birdcage. I don't know if you saw I that. Haven't seen. Right. He was the son in that. The very straight laced son in that. Um, yeah. So uh, again, it's kind of a uh, you know, unlike Buckaroo Banzai, it's a very straightforward slightly kind of a, a a biopic but kind of a thriller mm-hmm. definitely a drama um and, and you, you get some very interesting uh interesting moral problems that get thrown up he was throughout in four it. episodes of will and grace he was in one episode of homicide life on the street one episode of caroline in the city he was in shooting fish way back in 1997 yeah. oh it's a terrible I've never seen it. So. Oh, it's really bad. Uh, he was second punk in The Fisher King. That's right. a great film. Yeah, it's a good that? film. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah. Excellent. Good. 
executive producer of In Treatment. What a very odd and interesting yeah. CV this man has. It is, isn't it? Because I, I, I only knew him as the like the straight-laced son in the birdcage. Yeah. And then seeing him on the uh, on the credits for this. episodes of Judging Amy. Yeah. Huh. So, uh, yeah, like I say, it's... um. It's kind of a yeah, just a, a bit like Unstoppable is kind of a good solid action thriller. Hmm. This is a, a really good solid drama, I think, and it, it, you know, it, it doesn't have the problem of plot holes and stuff because it's, you know, it's true events. Sure. So, you know. The way you're talking about it is putting me in mind of Zodiac. Yeah, I, I imagine imagine a cross between Zodiac and then something like Frost Nixon or okay. uh, the Damn United or something like that, where okay. you, where you kind of know it's based on true events, um, and it's closer to reality than say Zodiac is. But yeah, that's that's kind of quite a okay. good comparison there. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. So that's it, really. Lovely. Um, I, I'm I'm interested to see what you think. Um, I I really enjoyed the film and I really enjoyed the the, the original novel of In Cold Blood as well. So. Okie dokie. Well. I have a very different film than that. Good. You have a documentary. Okay. Called Jiro Dreams of Sushi. Do you know what? What? I was looking at Netflix last night mm-hmm. and I saw that and I read the synopsis and I, my wife and I were saying, oh, that sounds mad. Mm. That, sounds, that sounds kind of kind of intriguing. Mm. We didn't watch it, no, but we good. were just looking at it. Excellent. And well, by this time next week, you'll have watched it. Yeah, that's really weird. Um, it's not quite as mad as you're expecting. No, but it, it just kind of seemed a bit like off, you know, kind of Well, I saw weird. a trailer for it a while ago and yeah. it just seemed interesting and sweet and nice. Yeah. And then when it popped up on Netflix, it's like I have to I had to watch it. Yeah. Uh, I've now watched it twice. Oh, really? Uh, once to watch it and then I watched yeah. it again to take notes on it because it's right. hard to take notes on a subtitled documentary when you're watching it for the first time. Yeah. Um okay, so Jiro Ono, mm-hmm. it's 85 years old. Looks a bit like a tortoise, right. uh, and he owns the world's best sushi restaurant. It has three Michelin stars and ten seats. Wow. Um, he seeks sushi perfection, right. and this documentary is about Jiro, the restaurant, his two sons, uh, and that quest for perfection. Right. See, now, I've, I've been to a one Michelin star restaurant, and the food there was just absolutely incredible, so I can only imagine what a three this, Michelin star uh, is. Even having, though I don't like sushi. But. Having Well, this is uh, I was on the fence about pitching this to you, because your attitude towards seafood. Yeah. Whereas I think the food... I want to eat everything I've seen in this film. Right, it okay. looks beautiful, the yeah. food. Just incredible. It's real artisan stuff. Yeah. Um, See, the, the thing with me with sushi is I always look at it, and I think, that looks amazing, and then I kind of get a kind of a vague sort of sense memory of fish mm. and that makes me feel slightly sick well the sushi the actual sushi is the rice I, yeah, not I really the know that, there yeah. are there's probably yeah. plenty of sushi dishes that you would like because right. they don't contain fish so, yeah exactly yeah I, th- I don't know why i guess it's because i guess it's because when you you're younger and someone's uh, when you kind of see sushi and someone you know, i say what well, what is it someone will inevitably we'll say, say raw, raw fish. fish yeah and that just makes that's me feel not sick. That, sashimi, yeah, exactly. that's the raw fish yeah yeah Anyhow, um, what can I tell you about Jiro Dreams of Sushi? Um, uh, Jiro himself yeah. is cl- officially classified by the Japanese government as a living national treasure. Oh wow! Because he's such a good, uh, such a good sushi chef. Yeah. Um, uh, there's a word that keeps uh, popping up called uh, shokunin, right? Uh, which means uh, they don't explain it in the film, uh, but it roughly translates as artisan or right. master of one's profession. Okay, so bear I'm, that in I know, mind. I've heard, that, I've heard that. I've heard that. 
I've heard that word before. Okay. So I'm assuming I must have heard it in some kind of Japanese mm. martial arts movie or something like that. <laughs> probably. Uh, you will you will understand why uh, he's uh, shokunin uh, when you see him work. Right. Uh, even in close up in slow motion, mm. I cannot always follow what his hands are doing. Wow. Um, and. Jiro or his elder son uh, Yoshikazu who's his number two in this restaurant um, they make every piece themselves for um, the restaurant it's crazy Um, I'm essentially going to be telling you things that you'll see in the film to get a seat at the restaurant Mm. uh, you have to book the month prior right Um, there are no appetizers Mm. they serve only sushi right the minimum price is 30,000 yen for a meal. Wow. Which is 240 pounds. That's crazy. For which you get 20 pieces of sushi. Wow, 20. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah, all handmade by yeah. the master or the master's son. That's, who that's some insane. speculate in this film mm. could possibly eclipse his father. <laughs> right, wow. Um who else? Uh, there, there, there's a few uh, characters. Uh, I mentioned uh, Yoshikazu, who's the older son. Yeah. Uh, he's a bald man with striking black eyebrows. <laughs> you will not believe him when he tells you how old he is. Okay. Um, he, uh, yeah, it's, uh, uh, and he and Jiro work in um, the... I cannot remember the name of the restaurant. It's got a name that begins with S and ends with Jiro, right. which I did not bother to write down. <laughs> right. um, but it's in... Um, it's actually in uh, Ginza Station right. in Tokyo. And I realised I've walked past it half a dozen times and not oh, known really? what it was. Yeah. Amazing. Which infuriates me. But I wouldn't have been able to go to anything, <laughs> anything exactly, because it's so yeah. damned expensive. Um, yeah. But yeah, anyway, they run that restaurant. They have a second branch in uh, Roppongi Hills, which is run by Takashi, right. who is the younger son, um, who has to lower his prices because the sushi is not made by his father wow. to get people to come in. That restaurant has two stars. Wow, okay. Yeah. Um, uh, there's a guy who kind of serves, of our, serves as our way in called Yamamoto, mm. who is a Tokyo restaurant critic. Right. And he kind of, he, he feeds us a lot of, interviews with him feeds us a lot of information about Jiro right, and gotcha. about um, sushi chefing in general and yeah. uh, restaurants in Japan. Mm-hmm. And a lot of this is actually about kind of like father-son hierarchy as well. Right. Um, it's a very, it's a fascinating insight, not only into Japanese culture and society, but also a very rare peek into into the world of a sushi restaurant and how, and how great food is made. Right. Um, the other two main characters, I say main characters. There's not, it's, um, there's a guy, uh, the guy they keep coming back to to be interviewed is a guy called Mazutani, right. uh, who's a former apprentice who now runs his own high end sushi restaurant, mm-hmm. uh, and he kind of. His insight is, uh, I studied under this man, um, but no longer work for him. Right. This is this is what I think. No, I'm outside. Oh, really? Um, and not a major character, but kind of a cameo. There's a guy to look out for called Fujita. Right. Who is, uh, he's the fish buyer okay. for, uh, for, for Jiro's restaurants, who describes himself as having anti-establishment methods. Right. <laughs> of buying fish. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That sounds quite suspect. Yeah. It's a man who can tell you how good a tuna is yeah. uh, by cutting the tail, yeah. poking two fingers inside and having a look with a torch. <laughs> <laughs> and he will tell you how good that tuna is going to taste. Wow. It, he's, he's quite amazing. They're all quite amazing. Yeah. Um, it's really nicely shot. Right. It's obviously HD video with 35mm lenses on it. Right. Uh-huh. Uh, so I think it might even be like DSLR okay, yeah. type stuff. Uh, but it okay. makes 
All so, the food looks beautiful. A bit like rubber, then. A bit like rubber. Uh, yes, but without any psychotic like tires. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's all so it's all it's all uh, pristine image, shallow focus. Yeah, um, practically pornographic when it comes to the food. Right. Um, there are some great scenes at uh, the fish market. Okay. With all these guys who are old craftsmen and real characters. Right. And this great scene, it probably doesn't last any more than 20 seconds, yeah. of a man trying to wrestle a live octopus into a plastic <laughs> bag. <laughs> and the octopus really does not want to go into the bag. Um, mm. What else? I don't know. Uh, I don't know what else I can say. Without just essentially giving stuff away. No, um, that's fine. I, it sounds interesting. Like I said, it, it, when we were flicking past it on the the thing last night, it really just kind of went, oh, that kind of sounds quite intriguing yeah. and, and interesting. I like it because I don't think you get what you're expecting when you go in. Right. I was kind of expecting a film about this, almost like a hard taskmaster running, yeah. his, running his sushi empire. And it's not that at all. Jiro works very hard. Um, the uh, he works every day. Right. Um, he doesn't like public holidays because it means he's not at work and he gets bored. This man mm-hmm. is dedicated to sushi. Yeah. Um, he has he has invented sushi dishes that are now just commonplace. Right. Um, when he was told by his masters fifty years ago, there isn't you can't invent any more sushi. It's all been done. He did it. Right. Um, yeah. He um, he's not. Like I said, I was expecting like this this really tough guy. He's not. He's this really sweet old man. Mm. Uh, Yamamoto has this great line: "The only difference between Jiro today and Jiro forty years ago is he doesn't smoke anymore." <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I hope you enjoy it. It's yeah. kind of it's it's not heavy. It's not involved. Right. Um, but I think, as I said, it's uh, it's an interesting look into into Japanese society mm. and uh, just. It made me feel nice when I'd finished watching it, and it's done that twice now. That's good. And given what a grumpy old fucker I am, so that's, yeah, quite, um, yeah. <laughs> that's good, quite an achievement. Yeah. Right. Uh, is that our lot? I think it is. Yeah. Excellent. So yeah, nice and swift this week. Indeed, given the uh, epic Titanic esque yeah, of last week. Yeah. Um, but with less Celine Dion. <laughs> that's always a good thing. If you are moved to watch uh, Jiro Dreams with Sushi or Capote before next week, mm-hmm. uh, then please uh, send us a message on Twitter at HYS Podcast. You can leave comments on our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash have you seen podcast. Uh, we have a blog, which is mostly just a repository for episodes at the moment because I'm really lazy and don't <laughs> have time to update nothing. Uh, lazy is not the word. I think busy is actually the word. Yeah. Uh, that's have you seen.net. Uh, and if you want to wa- write a long review or send us a pitch or anything you fancy just i don't know send us nice words of encouragement mm-hmm. or if you think we're terrible you can tell us that as well we take on board all criticism yep uh that's podcast at have you seen.net we should always should as always <laughs> so close I, I know i nearly did <laughs> so it. Close. we should as always uh thank upbeat productions for the use of the studio which is exactly as we left it last week <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> done the thing in here yeah. uh and alexia mom for his technical expertise yep that's it yeah. Uh, back next week with um, Sushi and Murders. Sushi and Murder. Yeah. Which is probably a film In all itself. of its own. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Excellent. If it's not, I'm going to write it. <laughs> uh, so, till next week, goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>